Okay, thank you, and I pray you'll pick up a prayer guide if you, if you, uh, before you leave, if you haven't gotten one already. Come now to session three, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. God pursues a love relationship. And so uh, um, this is kind of a little a different study. Uh, well, it was kind of laid out a little different from the last two studies we had, two weeks we had. And, but it was, it was real good. I enjoyed it. And so we're just going to review. And if you'll help me out with this, this will go real good, real easy. It's no, no trick questions or anything. And you have all the answers in front of you. And there's no, there's no wrong answer. And so let's, uh, let's look at this together just for a moment. Uh, first of all, let's think about those seven realities. Kyle, do you have those? Can you throw those up on the board? We have those seven realities that are necessary for us to experience God and, uh, and do the, the will of God. And, um, I want to review these for just a moment. First of all, um, first of all, we have God, and uh, God, is at, God is at work, and God's at work at every day. I mean, He's working in and around us all the time, and while He's working, we'll see Him working, and one thing he's doing is what he's trying to build, he's trying to pursue a love relationship with his people, uh, with, with people and with those that already belong to him. And when we see him working, well, that's an invitation for us to join him. And then he'll begin to speak to us in different ways. He'll speak to us through prayer. He'll speak through, us through his word. He'll speak to us through the Holy Spirit. He'll speak to us through circumstances. And we can see one or more than one of those ways working together as we see God working. And after he speaks to us, well, then we have a crisis of belief. Uh, we'll have a crisis. After we know what God has said to us, we'll think, well, can God really do what he's, can, can God really use me to do what he's wanting me to do? Uh, will I fail in this? Will I succeed in this? And can we think of Moses? And Moses was chosen by God. And Moses had a, uh, he came in, con God came in contact with him, drew him there to the burning bush. And there he spoke to Moses and shared his will for Moses' life. But Moses had a crisis of belief. What did he do? He started making excuses. God, you know, uh, I don't know if I can do this. My speech is not all that well. I'll need somebody to go with me. Wonder if they don't. Wonder if they uh, uh, want to know who sent me. Who am I going to tell who sent me? So he had this crisis of belief, and then he had to make some adjustments. He couldn't stay on the backside of the desert, although he knew God's will and go with God at the same time. He had to make uh, some adjustments in his life if he was going to fulfill God's will. And so it, that's a very critical time because as you step out in faith, make those adjustments, number, number six there, make those adjustments. The next is that you're going to step out in obedience, and when you do, that takes faith. It's a step of faith. And so you step out, and when you step out, then you're obeying God, and you experience God. You, you experience what he's wanting you to do. He's, you're experiencing his will for your life. And so there's seven realities, and we've learned two. The first is, uh, the first reality is God is at work. And the second reality this week was God is, uh, God is pursuing a love relationship with you that's real and personal. And so hope you understand the concept so far. And, 
and he wants, uh, uh, what's the, what is the foremost thing that God wants from you and from me? What is it? To do what? Love him. Thank you, Brother Jimmy. To love him. The foremost thing that God wants you to do for him is to love him. Okay? It's to love him. Our scripture verse was Matthew 22, 37 through 38 that you memorized. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And this is the greatest, the most important commandment. Okay? And so that's the verse we need to always remember. We need to love God with our total self, our total being, all of our, all of our heart, all of our soul, with all of our mind. This is the greatest. What's the second unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, two great commandments. First one, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, body, and mind. Your complete self. And second, unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So he wants us to love him with all of our being. And, and you experience, you, your experience in God depends on your love for God. You're, you're experiencing God. You'll never experience God until you learn to love God with all of your heart, soul, body, and mind. It's, it's all it's dependent upon our love for God. So God created us for a love relationship. So we're to love God. Above anything else, I love my wife. I'm <clears throat> getting some background, Cal, on this up here. I love, I love my wife, and I love her. When Judah and I, before we married, I told her, I said, honey, there's someone that I love before I met you. And I said, it's, it's the Lord, it's God. And she understood that, because the same was with her. I put, I put, I put Christ first. Love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And then I love my wife. I love my children. I love, and it just, it's, it's prioritized in regards to love. I don't want anything to come between me and the love that I have for God. If, listen, if my love is right with God, I won't have any problem loving my wife like I should, or loving my children like I should, or my neighbor like I should, or my church family. So it all hinges on the love that I have for God. Okay? So love him, and you'll love everybody else. But unless you love him, you'll never experience his will for your life. It's all, it all hinges on loving him. A statement that I wrote down, if you'll turn, uh, let me see what page that is in your book, after day one, if, um, if you'll turn to page 54. 54, what was the most meaningful statement or scripture that you read today? Page 54, what was, and that's day one. What's the, what was anybody, what did you put, anybody, you're not going to have a wrong answer, do I? That's right, knowing his will depends on her quality of having this love relationship with God. Mine was similar. You know, uh, my, my whole thing is God wants me to love him above everybody else, above everyone else. And everything hinges upon that love relationship. Everything that God says and does 
is an expression of his love. Everything that he says, everything that he does is an expression of his love. Look if you look on page 54. Well, we just did that on number one. Uh, anybody else have a statement or a scripture that popped out at you while you were studying? You want to share it? You can't have a wrong answer. This is something that God spoke to you about. Anybody? Do what now? Okay. And that's right. Thank you, Deb. And, and when it says any created thing, you know that's you. you. You can't even separate yourself from the love of God. And so that's, that's how strong that God's love is. And it's that, it's that agape love. Remember your Greek words for love? You know, we have one English word, but the Greeks had three. One of them was filio, friendship, love. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. It's that friendship, love. And then you had the sensual, sexual type called eros, where we get the word erotic love. And then you have, uh, you have the agape love. That's that self-sacrificing love. And so all through the scriptures you read in Romans, it's not the filial love, it's not the sensual, erotic love, but it's the self-sacrificing love. For God so agape the world that he did what? Self-sacrificed. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Another time it's used, husbands, agape your wife, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And so you can see the love that God has. He's our friend. He sticks closer than a brother. And so he loves us as a friend, but then he loves us with a, a self-sacrificing, sacrificial love. And so, uh, and, and that spoke to Deb. Anybody else pops out? Anything? Okay, if you would, look on, uh, uh, let me see, I have some things wrote down. I'm trying to go by my notes. Oh, one thing that was really interesting to me was on page 55, and he talked about the ladder there and and he he goes ahead and he takes a ladder uses the ladder as an illustration where you put a ladder against a wall remember that right at the beginning you put this ladder against the wall and you get to the top of the wall and you discover the ladder's on the wrong wall you imagine it and a lot of people do that in life they're trusting in something besides God and they get to the end of their life and it's it's the wrong wall. What they were trusting in, they leaned it up against the, the, the wrong wall. You get to the top and you discover that you placed the ladder on the wrong wall. Let's say that you're, you're wanting to go to heaven. And you lay your ladder against the wall of works. And you work, work, work for years and years. From young adult to senior adult. I guess you can be senior, senior adult. And you... And you get to the near end of life and you realize that when you get to the top of the wall, it's not by works. 
I've wasted my whole life working, trying to get to heaven, but it's not by works. Put the ladder on the wrong wall. You need to lay your ladder up against the wall of Jesus Christ. Trust in Him and Him alone. And as you serve Him and love Him, at the end of this world, you'll have an abundant life while you're here, but at the end, then you'll have eternal life with Him. So make sure your ladder's on the right wall. I love that illustration. Okay? Uh, so don't, don't put you, your, wall for eternal, your ladder on the wall for eternal life. Don't let your wall be works. Don't let it be baptism. Don't let it be all these other things. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So have your ladder on the right wall to begin with. And that's trust in Jesus. So our life must be properly related to God if we're going to have a home in heaven. Remember this. Uh, I really like this statement. God did not create you for time. He created you for what? For what? I'm hearing somebody say something or breathing hard one. Service, okay. Eternity. He created us for eternity. That's what He created. What do we have the time for? To get ready for eternity. See? That's why we need to redeem the time. Don't waste the time. He wants us to get ready for eternity. Time, your lifetime on earth provides you the opportunity to get acquainted with Him and prepare for eternity. So that's, that's what time is for. Don't waste time. Use time. Time wasn't cre- created for God. He's, he's not, he doesn't operate in time. He operates in eternity. Okay? But he created time for us where we could get acquainted with him and prepare for eternity. Okay? Look on page uh, 56. I have a note here. On page 56 in your book, um, the circle six. Answer the following questions based on Paul's statement. Philippians 3, 4 through 14. And you know how Paul gave his qualification, and he was a Pharisee above all Pharisees, and he was, you know, he was uh, uh, versed in the law, and he gave all of his, his uh, religious qualifications as a Jew. And, um, but look at uh, uh, on A part. What are some things in Paul's past that could have influenced his presence? What's some things in his past that could have influenced his presence? Anybody? Great. Good. His, his social status, his heritage, you know, his, his religion, and his religion are uh, his self-righteousness. He's a very self-righteous person. And so that could have influenced his present, uh, his uh, future life, his present and really his future, Okay. How did Paul view those things? All those things he accomplished, he viewed them as what? Yeah, just wasted, just, just uh, uh, worthless. Uh, King James says dung, just, just, just nothing. And so look at number, look at C. Why did Paul view his past this way? Anybody?
Okay. All right. Somebody else over here? Yeah. Okay. And Paul said something there, too. Uh, can you imagine Paul and his life? Imagine, imagine Paul, and imagine Paul going to, to preach somewhere, and everybody knew this person that was once named Saul. They knew what type of person he was. They knew what type of character he was. And so what was the first thing they, they uh, how did they respond to him? They didn't want to hear him. Hey, you know, he'd persecuted the church. He'd put people in prison. He'd put people in jail. He'd put people to death. He'd thrown people to the, uh, you know, to the lines. And now he's preaching this, he's preaching a gospel by grace through faith, and no one wanted him to, to, to talk. No one wanted to invite him into the synagogue. And they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then he said he was going to do what with his past? He used the word... Forget the past, and you can't forget the past. You've heard me share this before, I know. You can't forget the past. I mean, we're not, we're not mentally capable of forgetting the past as far as if we desire to, because we're going to see something that will remind us of the past, hear something that will remind us, see someone that will remind us. You cannot forget the past. But so what Paul was saying is, I'm not going to let the past control me. And so that's what we have to understand. Regardless what kind of past I've had, it's past. And as a believer, yours is past. There's nothing you can do about the past. You can weep over it, you can cry about it. And if you cry about it at night, you're going to be crying in the morning. And so Paul says, I'm going to forget it. I'm not going to let it control me, direct my life. I'm going to press forward to the goal, to the prize that's before me in Christ Jesus. So always remember that when the devil throws guilt up to you, throws the past up to you, say, hey, get, get behind me, Satan. I'm, I'm not letting the past control me. God's forgiven me, put it in the sea of his forgetfulness, and so I'm going on. And that's what, that's what Paul did. Look on... Yeah. That's right. Philip said, we've received a new life. If you've been saved, hey, the old's gone. And you now, uh, and that's why the Bible says we have to be born again. We're born wrong. We're born in sin. You have that Adamic nature, and it's been passed on down to us, and we're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. But when we get saved, we've been born again by the Spirit of God. Nothing that we've done but we've been regenerated on the inside and we look the same on the outside, but something takes, something happens on the inside. God works as a marvelous uh, salvation and all of a sudden our want-tos are different. Our desires are different. And we're a new creature, a new, a new being. We've been changed by God. And so we have to remember that. Okay, so how did Paul deal with his past? He disregarded his past. What should be our main goal in life? To know him, to know Jesus, to know God. That's our main goal. On page 58, look at that just for a moment. On page 58, you had two columns. You had the passing away and you had the eternal. What's passing away around us? 
besides us. <laughs> What's passing? If you if you invest in if you invest in the uh, in the temporal, those things passing away, or do you invest in the eternal? Those things gonna last forever. Hey, listen, don't invest in the temporal. What's some things that are temporal? Job. What? Yeah, material things. Money. Yeah. Those things. Those those just I mean automobiles. Automobiles. I believe if I had a um a new BMW and would drive it to Walmart, first thing somebody'd open the car door and slam it real I mean shut it and I'd have a crease down before I got home. <laughs> Do what? An electric car. I couldn't find a plug in nowhere, I guarantee you. Did y'all see that, y'all see that on uh, Fox the other day where they had this, uh, this car broke, this electric vehicle broke down, and they were pushi- pushing it to a gas station uh, where they, or a factory where they were, where they were uh, refining coal, and they were pushing up this hill to this mining, coal mining factory where, that, where they could plug it in. It was so ironic, but anyway, they were, they were pushing an electric car trying to find a plug-in for it. But those things are temporal. Temporal means they're here for a little while and they're gone. Do what? Activities that we're so passionate about. Sports. Oh. Yeah. Yes, it's going to go away. Who was I? I was talking with someone the other day. Um, and we were talking about, um, and the Bible says this world, we're not even going to remember this world. It'll be remembered no more. Hey, we won't remember anything here. All that's temporal. It's going to pass away. You, your automobiles, your houses. Uh, time, time's ticking away. I don't know where the time goes, but it's, you know, I mean, it's just ticking away. Um, so your automobiles, your ha- electronics, electronics passing away. Um, you know, we had the. I was talking to someone today. We had eight track tapes. They passed away. <laughs> I had some good Dinah Ross and Supreme tapes. I did because eight tracks. They passed away. And then, then you had, what came after eight tracks, Kyle? Cassettes. Cassette tapes. I've got tons of cassette tapes in here. Great sermons of me preaching. No, I'm kidding, of others preaching. I saw, I, I can't play them. I bought them 30 bucks for, a, for a, a series and stuff like that. And then we go to uh, CDs and DVDs and and now you sometimes you don't have a car that you can play one of those, isn't that right? I don't know. It's all passing away. Now what doesn't pass away? The word of God doesn't pass away. What else? Heaven don't pass away. Um, uh, church, the church, church don't pass away. We're all going up to be with each other. I, so, yeah, the word. Yeah. 
yeah, pile Bibles up and burn them and, and confiscate them, but it's, it's not going to pass away. Look at day two right quick on page 58. Uh, let me see. I'm sorry. Um, I have a statement on page 56. Let's go back there just for a moment. Once your love for God is in place as your greatest priority, God will provide everything else you need. Wow, think of that. Once your love for God is in place as your greatest priority, God will provide everything else you need. Now, how's the scripture address that? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's priority. First. And all those things you worry about will be given to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So once your love for God is in place as your greatest priority, God will provide everything else you need. What a promise. That's a promise. Look on uh, day three, walking with God. Um, let's skip down. Uh, I have a, a statement. Look at the... Uh, Second paragraph, and I'll read it for those that don't have a book. It says, I hear many people say, I really, this is on page 59, I really struggle trying to have time alone with God. If that's a problem you face, let me suggest something. Make the priority in your life to love him with all of your heart. That will solve most of your problems with your quiet time. <laughs> if you don't have time, Put him first, and that'll pretty well solve your problems with your quiet time. And he goes on. People who struggle to spend time with God don't have a scheduling problem. What do they have? A love problem. You have a quiet time because you know him, and therefore you love him, and just because you want to learn more about him. The Apostle Paul said Christ's love compelled or constrained him. It was because of God's love that Paul just kept going and kept going, regardless of what would happen to him in his life. Okay, look, if you will, on day four. Um, look to day four just for a moment. God pursues a relationship. And uh, need to understand that who pursues who? Do we pursue God or God pursues us? He pursues us. See, God, God draws us to him. For salvation, he draws us to him. He pursues us. <clears throat> One thing the devil will have you to believe, if you're not a Christian, is you, you can be saved anytime you want to be saved. No, you can be saved... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. The more I try to cover it, the louder it gets. You can be saved when God draws you. When the Spirit draws you. And, and if you hear that knocking on your, on your heart's door, that's time to respond to God. He's speaking to your heart. And one day you'll get up. You won't hear anything if he withdraws his conviction from you. You won't hear anything. He won't be drawing you. So while he's drawing you, while he's, quote, calling you, respond to that and ask him to come into your life and save you, and he will. And so... Very important to know that he, uh, he comes to us. We don't, we don't go to him. 
If you look on page 61, Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says this, this is, uh, there's, none, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. No one is good. No one is good. Um, only God is good. John six forty four in the right column there. No one can come to me, Jesus, uh, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Everyone has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. And so if God's calling you, speaking to you, wooing you, uh, drawing you, that's the, time, that's the time to respond, okay? So who takes the initiative in the love relationship? God does. Um, in our normal state, we do not seek God. The point is, if we have a relationship with God, God must take the initiative, okay? Uh, on page, um, I think, uh, let me go back to... Uh, Let's go back to walking with God just for a moment. And you had an activity. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to do this activity, but the activity, the assignment was for us to take 30 minutes out of the day and, and walk with God. The assignment's on page 60. Just as Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, set aside 30 minutes for a time to walk with God. If your locations, physical conditions, weather permits, find a place outside to walk. Uh, but have an opportunity to walk and talk to God. Now, would anybody like to share their experience, what it was like just to get by yourself, just you and God and walk? If you would, let it be known by standing and talking loud. Who, who would like to do that? Well, thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> oh, if you, oh, I'm sorry. Amen. So you plan to do this again some other time? Yeah. Okay. Corey. Uh, now, they've shared with me. I, I, I've heard their stories, so.
All right. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah. Thank, I'm sorry, Philip. Well, when I started, I just felt so close to him. And I became concerned about people. And I was surprised that he gave me name after name after name after name to lift up. Amen. Thank you, Philip. Just flooding you with names of people. Now, see if we were if we were doing like if we're doing this like we normally do, experiencing God, we'll have eight to ten, and then everybody in the room shares about that walk. So y'all help me out from now on answering these questions because uh, we we've got so many in here, but we need to look at this DVD for just a moment. So you might want to take notes in your last page over there on day, right after day five. And um, as we review this, as we wind it down, this is on page uh, 67. God pursues a loving relationship. That's what, we're, uh, that's what we're talking about.
Several years ago, my father and I were attending a conference in Texas and we were registering at a very large convention center. It had been a long day, we traveled all the way there. And I remember as we came to the reception area, the registration lines, there were six different desks from which we could register. And I tend to look for the shortest lines possible. And I'm looking around and it looks like the, the second line is the shortest. And so I said to my dad, let's get in line two and uh, hopefully we can get through this process as quickly as possible. Well, uh, my dad, 99% of the time would just happily just go in whatever line I suggested. But for some reason on this occasion, he looked at me and said, I think I'm gonna get in line three. And so we were a bit giddy from traveling all day. And, uh, and so I said, well, then we'll have a race. And so we both get in different lines. I'm in line two, he's in line three. And there are long lines in each. And so we're just biding our time. I'm checking my emails and uh, I lose track of time. I lose track of my dad. And then all of a sudden I hear a woman's voice shouting out, it's you, it's you. And I come to my senses, I look over and my dad has beaten me. My dad is at the registration table and the woman registering him is shouting loud enough for everyone to hear, it's you, it's you. So I make my way over to my dad to find out what's happening. And this woman tearfully begins telling her story. She had been in an abusive uh, childhood and had suffered some terrible hurts as she was growing up. And she ended up having a very low sense of self-worth uh, and suffered from depression. By the time she got to university, she had such terrible suicidal, depressed thoughts that all she could think about was ending her life. And one day she decided it was time to do that very thing. And she was walking during the lunch hour through the green space of her university, planning to throw herself over a bridge where other students had taken their lives in the past. But as she's walking through the green space, all of a sudden she thinks she can hear someone calling her name. Now there's all kinds of students having lunches and visiting and throwing Frisbees out on the green space. But in the midst of all of the noise of others, she could swear that someone's calling her name. So she starts to walk faster, trying to get away from whoever might be calling her, but the voice is getting closer and closer. And she doesn't want to run and make it obvious she's trying to escape, but she's walking as quickly as she can. And then suddenly someone grabs her arm and she turns around and it's a, a, a friend that she has. And the friend says, I've been looking all over for you. She said, uh, there's, a, there's a new Bible study that we've been doing and it's amazing. And she said, as I was in the study last week, God just put on my heart that you need to be in this study. And today he just put a, a, an urgency in my heart to find you and, and to bring you with me. Well, the woman contemplating suicide said, well, I'm, I'm busy today, I don't have time today. And her friend won't take no for an answer. She's literally holding onto her arm and saying, I can't go there without you, you've got to come with me. And so finally, reluctantly, this woman had agreed to go to the Bible study and then intending to take her life once the study was over. But she went into that study, it happened to be experiencing God. And that week they were studying the truth, the reality that God pursues a love relationship with you. And even as she began to listen to the study that day, it began to dawn on her that her heavenly father had been pursuing her all of her life. And regardless of what her earthly father had done and others had done, 
her heavenly father had never given up pursuing her and reaching out to her. And even on the day she was going to take her life, God was alerting someone else to frantically run all over the university campus to find her and bring her into a place where she could learn of his love for her. And as she told us that story, my dad and I looked at each other and we both realized that if I had had my way, my dad would have been one line away from ever meeting that woman. But the Spirit of God had told my dad that day, no, you can't go in line two today. Today, you've got to be in line three. And uh, as we saw that, we thought, isn't God good? That no matter how far you go, no matter how hard you run, God continues to pursue you in a love relationship. There's a wonderful story that the Bible presents about the love of God. You find it in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a righteous Jewish prophet. He lived a holy life and was trying to serve God. And God told Hosea, I want you to show a watching world what my love is like for them. And so he said, uh, one of the most unusual things that you find in the Bible, he said, go and marry someone basically who's a prostitute, who lives immorally. And this would have been scandalous, it would have been shocking for God to tell a holy man, go marry a woman who's unholy, who's lives a wicked, evil lifestyle. But that's what Hosea was told to do. And of course, that was portraying God, who's a holy God, who loves sinful people like you and me. And Hosea found Gomer and took her into his home and loved her, gave her respect, gave her protection. And uh, you would think that that story would have ended so beautifully with Gomer so grateful that any man would want to love her after all that she had done in her own life. But instead, we're shocked to discover that Gomer is lured away from the husband who loves her to pursue other lovers and to pursue passions that are fleeting. And she abandons her husband and essentially gets to the point of selling herself into to slavery uh, in her pursuit of her fleshly passions. And then we're given an even more shocking command by God because God turns to Hosea and says, now go and purchase her back, get her back. After all that she's done, after she's rejected your love, don't give up on her, find her, trace her down and bring her back and love her once again. And as shocking as that would have been to the readers of Hosea, God was saying, that's how much I love you. You can forsake me, you can turn away from me, you can reject me, but I will keep loving you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that God is love. His very nature is love. God cannot and will not relate to you in any other way except perfect love. And Mark chapter 12, verse 30, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus had said, the greatest thing, the most important thing that God wants from you is for you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. The one thing God wants from you is your love for him. Sometimes we struggle with that. We think, well, I try to have a quiet time and I try to spend time with God reading my Bible every morning. But God wants more than just a Bible reading. He wants you to love him. He wants you to want to spend time with him. He wants to have fellowship with you. For years, my father worked with uh, CEOs, uh, executives, Christian executives of large companies. And one day he was telling these executives, he said, um, God wants you to spend unhurried time with him. 
That is time where you're not looking at your watch and worried about getting to your next appointment, but that you can just enjoy being in God's presence. And one of the executives of a very large company said, well, Henry, the problem is you don't know how busy I am. And my dad's response was, no, the problem is you don't know who you're going to be meeting with. If you knew the God of the universe wanted to spend time with you, you would not be too busy. My father often said, when you find yourself too busy to spend time with God, you don't have a scheduling problem, you have a love problem. If you love God, you would spend time with Him. Psalm 1611 says, in God's presence is fullness of joy. Why would you not want to spend time experiencing fullness of joy? God's driven to have a relationship with you. Everything starts with the relationship. Before God will talk to you about your career, before he'll talk about the future, he's gonna always speak to you in a way that draws you into a love relationship with him. My associate, uh, Rick Fisher, uh, was in a church uh, recently, and uh, he arrived a little bit late, went up into the balcony, was looking down over the people worshiping during the music, and he saw a family of four worshiping together. There was a father on one end, a mother on the other, Next to the mother was their daughter. Next to the father was the son. And as the worship music was playing, the mother was very involved in the worship, had her hands raised, was obviously with all of her heart worshiping God. And next to her was her daughter. And her daughter was watching her mother worship God with all of her heart. And so the daughter was doing the same thing. But on the other end was the father. And the father was standing with his family and he had his arms crossed. He wasn't singing, he wasn't smiling. He was just kind of frowning, just putting in time as everybody sang worship songs. Next to him was his son. His son looked and saw his mother and his sister worshiping God uh, with joy, with passion, with love. And he looked and he saw his dad just putting in time at a church service on Sunday. And after a few moments, the boy looking at his mother, looking at his father, the boy folded his arms as well and just stood there not singing. And as Rick watched that, he saw the difference between people who their relationship with God is really just a matter of going to church once a week, maybe reading the Bible now and then. And on the other hand was someone that understood it's about a love relationship. Too many Christians think that it's just about going to church. It's just about being a good person. God will not be satisfied until you love him with all of your heart. And so the fundamental question that you have is, can you say today from the depths of your heart, I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength and with all of my mind. If you love him that way, everything else in your relationship with God will fall right into place. So you're talking about the love of God for us, which is this incredible truth that we see in the Bible. But there's also the aspect of our love for God. And if we're called to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, strength, how do we do that? How do we make ourselves love somebody? Because I know sometimes it can maybe be difficult when we're having our quiet time reading the Bible or we're praying and uh, maybe we're just unengaged in that. And we know we're supposed to love God, but what? What do we do when, when that's difficult? Yeah, I know, I know people that feel very guilty about that. They'll, they'll say, I know I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, but 
I find having quiet times boring or I, I, I can't pray, I get, I, I get distracted. And a lot of Christians feel very guilty about that. And you know, there's a lot of things you can do. I always tell people just spend time in God's word and just get as close to who Jesus is as you can and, and see what he cares about and see what he's done for you. Your nephew, my uh, grandson, uh, Logan, the other day, just six years old, but, but in, in a Christian school, they had taught him about the, the crucifixion and what happened on the cross. And as this, my little six-year-old grandson is trying to tell me what he learned in school about the crucifixion, he got to the point and he's, of where the, the Roman soldier puts the spear into the side of Jesus and as Logan tries to tell us that, he starts to cry. He's just overcome with emotion. And he and he just finally just, he couldn't talk anymore. He just had to hug us. And just, he was kind of embarrassed that he was crying in the middle of his story. But I saw that and I thought, but that's what we should all be doing. We should all just be looking at the cross, seeing what Jesus has done. And you'll just find yourself drawn in your heart toward a God who would do that for you. I think sometimes we also struggle because we're constantly hit with so many definitions in our culture of what love is, what it looks like. Plus, we've all had bad experiences of yeah. maybe people we thought loved us and then betrayed us, or maybe a, a parent or somebody that, that we felt was supposed to love us and then didn't love us well. And I think sometimes we can fall into a habit of, of first defining love based on our own experience or uh, what, we're, what we're taught in our culture, and then trying to fit God into that definition. And then when he doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense. We somehow start questioning God, well, is God really loving if he doesn't fit into my definition? When in reality, the Bible tells us that God is love. So if he's the standard, then I guess everything else has to measure up to that. And we determine uh, everything else, whether that is love, according to how it measures up against God as as the standard. And so when you when you look at it that way, it can change everything. But but if you get that wrong, it can lead to uh, to some pretty uh, troubling uh, destinations. And what, what might happen if we if we get the definition of love wrong when when trying to understand God? Yeah, I, I remember my dad one time when he was a pastor, uh, he was leading a business meeting in his church. And in the midst of the discussions, one of the men, one of the deacons, got really upset. And he started raising his voice and he got uh, angry at what was being decided. And finally, he just got up and he said, uh, "I, that's it, I resign from all of my positions in this church. And he got up and he walked out of the room. And my dad, everyone was in shock, and my dad, uh, kind of to get back to the control of the meeting, he just said, all right, do we have a second? And people, what do you mean a second? He said, well, he just made a motion that he'd be relieved of all of his positions in the church. I don't think anyone that angry and upset should be leading and serving right now. But then he went to meet with the man later. And as he met with the man, the man was embarrassed and he was trying to justify what he'd done. And my dad just simply asked him, he said, listen, I want to ask you a question. Can you say with all of your heart that you love God? with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And the man thought about the question for a moment and he finally responded and he said, well, I don't know I, that I could say I love God. He said, I fear God, I respect God, I serve God, I believe in God. But when he really was honest, he couldn't say that he loved God. And so my dad said, well, tell me about your father. 
And sure enough, the man said, my father was very distant. He could never be pleased. No matter what I did, it was never good enough. I never ever heard him say that he loved me, that he appreciated me, that he was proud of me. And my dad said, well, that's the problem. You're viewing God as if he's like your father and he's not. If you could understand how much God loves you, how much God is willing to do and has done to save you, to adopt you, to shower you with blessings and his grace, you'd be overwhelmed by the love of God. You couldn't be judgmental and angry at others when you knew all that God had done for you. And that set the man free. And I've seen that a lot, Mike, where people, if you, if you get the love of God wrong, then all of your relationships are wrong and they're out of sync. Uh, you've got to get that right first. And then every other relationship, especially your walk with God, will be put right in place the way God wants it to be. And the truth is that God pursues us first. And yeah. so when we're called to love God, we're really called to love Him back. We're called yeah. to respond to the love that He has already given to us. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, so if you don't feel like you have all the love for God that uh, you, you ought to, uh, don't panic, God is still pursuing you. Just open your heart to all that God is doing, even today, when you read the Bible, don't just do it as a ritual, as a discipline. As you open the Bible, realize you're about to meet with the, the author of the book. He loves you infinitely and he won't rest, he won't quit until you love him back with all of your heart as well. That's fair. Pursuing a love, God pursuing a loving, a love relationship with us. We're going to close out tonight. One of my favorite songs. Um, probably remember Sandy, Sandy Patty and uh, Lionel Harris, uh, two great record, recording artists. And so we're going to close out with a song by them. But next, our next session is. Uh, Love and God's invitation. And so uh, I'll be praying for you this week. You'll be praying for me that I'll be able to be able, I'll be able to get uh, my work finished and I'll be praying that you'll be able to get yours in, in the book. And so, uh, and watch where God's working because uh, that's when an invitation comes when you see him working. Let's close out with this song.